Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Okay, y'all, we have some exciting news. So if you want to dive deeper into the ways that the conversations and topics that Danae and I are always talking about and having can impact your evolution and growth personally, then you should join us in Nosara, Costa Rica at Bodhi Tree Yoga Resort, June 3rd through 10th for our upcoming intensive retreat, which we're calling Reclaiming Audacity. Yes, we are joining forces with two of our colleagues, Millie Murillo and Ashley Torrent, to create a week full of transformational healing by exploring the narratives that have shaped our current perspectives, challenge some of the limiting ways of being, and discover tools for integrating spiritual perspectives with the struggles we will inevitably face in our day-to-day lives. So if you'd like some more information, you can head to the link in either of our social bios or head to Vanessa's website underneath retreats for some more details. Hope we see you guys in Costa Rica. Yeah. And there are payment plans available. So make sure you email me or DM me if you have any questions. See y'all in the jungle. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We are so excited to share today's guest with you. We have Traver Bohm in the house. Um, Traver is the founder of the Uncivilized Men Movement, the fastest growing men's movement in the world. He's author of Today I Rise and Man Uncivilized, as well as a two-time TEDx speaker, men's coach, and podcaster. Traver draws upon an eclectic background ranging from professional bodyguard, mixed martial arts, to a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine and meditation. And Traver counsels men, women, and couples on how to understand men's health and men relationship difficulties. I mean, that just encapsulates it all. (laughs) He does all the things. I just loved having this conversation with him because I think you and I are constantly seeking getting a men, like the men perspective, right? The male perspective on the Mm -hmm. conversations that you and I have so frequently. And I think he's a breath of fresh air because he, not only does he embody it, he, he puts it into action. Um, and I just think he's very clear. He's very succinct. Like he's very understandable, relatable, all the things. I mean, you know, I told you jokingly, like my brother, um, who helps do some of the background work for all of our guests, he messaged me the night before, like, Oh, I'm really excited for this guest. Like he was into MMA. And you know, for those of you who don't know, my brother's like 28. So to hear somebody like my 28 year old brother get really excited for a conversation like this, which to him might be maybe a little over his head or not something he's really interested in, you know, off the cuff is exactly what I mean when I say he's relatable. Like he's even bringing people, you know, like that into the fold. And I think that's really important, actually. 
Yeah. And I think we both loved him because he really draws from a Jungian perspective mm-hmm. in a lot of what he is speaking to in terms of what an integrated man of the future looks like. I think so often we talk about um, just the idea that men and women are supposed to be exactly the same, respond to the world the same, has really in a lot of ways done us a disservice. I think there's a lot of um, men operating as though they should be apologetic for their masculinity. And there are ways that if men cannot stand unapologetically in the truth of you know, what it means to be a well-rounded man in 2023, um, I think so many of the societal issues that we're really struggling with are at that core element of men not knowing how to come into a solid sense of capital S self, you know? Yeah, so beautifully put. Um, And also, he's just lovely. That was just another Mm -hmm. component. Like, I just love talking with him. And I remember you saying to me, like, this is going to be one of those ones that you want to go have a beer with him afterwards. (laughs) And I was like, yes, you're right. Um, so I just hope you guys enjoy this conversation because like I said, it just, it feels like we're finally having really good conversation with some men that are coming to the table and saying, no, we got to get real. We got to get serious. Um, you know, and we gotta, we gotta have these hard conversations and it's nice to have him at the table. Mm Trevor, thank you so much for being here. I was saying to Vanessa right before we got on with you that I have been reading your book, um, Mm -hmm. Man Uncivilized, and just blown away by the insights and things that I feel like we have been talking about in terms of the ways that men are hurting and that it seems to be a lot of what is underneath a lot of our societal struggles Mm -hmm. right now in a way that nobody's really talking about when we talk about toxic masculinity or just sort of dismissing it as like men are the problem. And I, you know, I was saying to you before, I really have appreciated the way that you have shown up from a Mm. space of leadership um, Mm. in moments of, you know, collective turmoil. You've just spoken so clearly and so poignantly in a way that I've just been really grateful for. So thank Thank you you for that. Yeah, I appreciate the acknowledgement. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like Vanessa and I would really just love for you to tell us a little bit about your story and how you came Mm. into the place of doing the work that you're doing now. Beautiful. Yeah. It it feels cliche now in hindsight, um, but I think, you know, you you guys mentioned that you're both Jungian therapists. I think it was Jung who said, was it Jung who said, there's no coming to consciousness without pain, Mm -hmm. right? So if if we go back about eight years, uh, I ran a CrossFit gym. I was married to the love of my life. We had a kid on the way. I had a great dog. I made good money. I got to go to work every day in a pair of board shorts and teach people how to get stronger and not wear a shirt. And this was the dream. I lived in Southern California and I was, I had checked all the boxes. Everything was exactly as it should have been. Uh, I had a master's degree in Chinese medicine. I was like, everything was happening. My writing career was just starting to take off and it all fell away. Uh, My ex-wife had a miscarriage, which led very quickly to a divorce, which led to the next day, my business partnership ending for separate, let's call them reasons. And suddenly I was left with more pain and suffering than I could out drink, out smoke. Uh, I don't know what your language requirements are here, but out fuck, out run, out exercise. (laughs) Like, I realized that this was so much bigger than me that I was actually going to have to get sober to get through it. I was actually going to have to go to therapy to look at all the reasons why I was the middle, I was the, the, the consistent point in all of this turmoil and pain. I could be like, cool, she left her fault. Business partnership fell apart his fault. But I was like, ah, there's one central character in this story, and that's me. And so it was my coming to consciousness. It was the awareness. You know, I can, I can take you guys back to sitting on my couch when my ex-wife drove away and hearing this voice came out of nowhere. I'm not a Jesus person. I'm not a spiritual person per se that said, hang on. If you do this right, Everything that you want, everything that you've hoped, everything that you've like deeply, deeply, deeply desired out of your life can come to fruition. But if you don't, if you numb this, if you hide from this, if you run from this, if you, if you don't dive in head first, you'll be back here in five years. And I was like, I do not want to be back here in any years. 
So yeah. that day, I think it was actually the next day, I went to my first AA meeting. I found out I'm not an alcoholic, but man, if I took all of the, you know, Brene Brown said she was like a little bit of an addict of everything. If I took weed, porn, alcohol, exercise, work, exercise, you know, everything you can think of and put them into one addiction, I was a raging addict. And so I went on this journey of, of discovery, of therapy, of, of, wow, holy, I have shit. I brought shit into my marriage of, of figuring some of this stuff out. But what was interesting was the two questions I started to ask myself and consistently ask myself were, who am I? Which feels like I'm going to spend the rest of my life answering that one. And that's okay. But question two was, who am I as a man? And I'd never asked that question. I was 40 years old. I'd never been asked that question. And so boom, 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 boom. All of these teachers came into my life. All of these books came into my life. I started working with Michaela Bohm, with Robert Masters, with Robert Glover, with all of these great men's people. And I went on this super long, you know, eat, pray, love for dudes kind of journey. And at the end of it, ended up writing a book about divorce. And I published it, thought nothing would come of it, and nothing really did come of it for a couple months. But then here's what was unique. I started getting emails, because I put my email in the book, from men. And these guys were like, hey, this is weird. Like, I'm going through a divorce. I'm drinking 10 times more than I was eight weeks ago. You got sober. How did that happen? Hey, my buddy's going through a divorce. He's now coked up and banging his secretary. You seem to be doing great. How did that happen? And it was in a unique time because I'd sold my business and, and had income coming from it. So any single guy who emailed me or DM'd me or whatever, I, I wrote back, let's get on the phone. And for a year, I just talked to men. Like, hey, what are you going through? Because I had space and time. Like suddenly I wasn't a father. I wasn't a husband. I wasn't a business owner. Uh, so I had time and space and I, I listened to men for a full year of my life. And what I found was the through line was there was this epidemic of suffering that no one was talking about. No one would really even acknowledge. And so I just started talking about it and saying, Hey, and I talked about it. You know, I'm an ex cage fighter. I talked about it in like cage fighting terms. It's like, you know what? It feels like you might've just gotten hit in the face. Doesn't it? And guys are like, yeah, speaking my language. I'm like, cool. Here's what you do when you get hit in the face. You stop drinking. You go to therapy. You start looking in the mirror. You start journaling. You start figuring out who you are. You stop doing all the things that led to you getting hit in the face or continuing to hit you in the face. So long story short, at the end of this year, mm -hmm. um, I remember feeling and looking out kind of at the male landscape and feeling that I had one of two options in, in the personal growth, self-development, whatever we want to call it, men's idea. And it was like, go pretend to be a Navy SEAL for a weekend, and that's path A. And like, pretend that you weren't in the military, even if you weren't, and live the like disciplined up at 4 a.m., cold bath, that life. And I was like, well, I, I did my athletic career. I don't really want to get up before 6 a.m. Or option B was like yeah. feminist vegan poet route and I could I can't grow a hair like a top knot but like that was what I was supposed to do and you know be super spiritual and kind of bypass everything and I didn't want to go down that route either and so I started asking the question of why isn't there a third option mm -hmm. right why can't we take the primal parts of masculine identity that we appreciate that we still love that we still need and integrate them with a level of consciousness that doesn't seem to be prevalent with emotional intelligence, with relational skill, etc., with feelings. And why can't we put those two in the middle and create a third option? And I just threw that idea out on Instagram one day and called it uncivilized. And my life changed instantly in a moment. I got flooded with messages, flooded with people saying like, this is what I've been looking for. I don't want to go left or right. I don't want to have a binary option for masculinity. I want the middle ground. I want to be able to pick and choose with what works with me, with what works with my partner, with what yeah. works with my family, with my community, et cetera. And so that's the long story to a short question of that's how I came to all of this. 
So I want to actually have you dive into that a little bit more because one of the things that I read, I think it was on your website, is this idea of combining the divine masculine with the Mm -hmm. primal masculine. And so Mm -hmm. you just kind of alluded to that, but I would love if you could speak more about, I guess, like what you mean by those concepts, kind of what you've come to understand about those concepts, especially through coaching. Like where have you actually seen that like play out in real life, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. You know, this came about, I I was living in Brooklyn at the time. And I decided to throw um, a men's meeting and just like random. Let's see what happened. I lived in this great building and I I did all the marketing, all the things, Eventbrite, flyers, yada, yada, yada. And like walk into this little conference room and there's one dude there, one guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. And I just spit, like I like put my preacher hat on and it was like the divine masculine does this, the blah, 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 blah. And at like the 45 minute mark, I think I took my first breath and he stopped me and he goes, Hey man, I've just followed you since your fitness days. Like I just want to lose 15 pounds. So I came to this meeting and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Uh, Tell me, tell me about your life. Right. This is so good. I'm so glad I came here. And long story short, uh, he was a cop and would go every morning to McDonald's to get his coffee. And so I was like, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to solve your problem in, in five seconds. Don't go to McDonald's ever again. And we ended up talking more. It's like, what? They have the best coffee, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, I go upstairs and I'm starting to hang out with my roommate at the time. And he's, he and I then spent this evening having a very in-depth conversation about business struggle, business success, relationships with our dads, some things that had happened with him with a high school girlfriend that left an indelible mark on him. Like we actually had an intimate conversation went to bed at about 5 a.m. He woke me up. I was like, we're going to go work out. So we're, we're about to go downstairs and, and hit the gym. And he goes, hey, when was the last time you ate McDonald's? And I was like, I don't eat that shit. That's civilian food. Mm. Pulls his phone out, starts filming me. I say, like, tell me more about this idea of uncivilized. I said, take a look at, take a look at this apartment. There's no drugs in here. There's no alcohol in here. There's no TV in here. We spent the evening having like a real honest to God, wow, that's, that's real conversation. And now we're about to go downstairs and literally get as primally savage as we can and fuck some shit up in the weight room. That combination was what lit this whole idea up for me. And so now when I talk to men, to be specific to your question, Vanessa, I get men who are usually one of the archetypes, the primal, divi- primal masculine archetype or the divine masculine archetype is collapsed or has never been developed. And the other one is oftentimes deeply in the shadow. So what, I, what this means is I'll get guys who is, let's say we get the guy who's like fully primal, right? This is a guy who's out there kicking ass in the world. He probably makes money. Uh, he's working out, he's, he's driven, he's got a purpose, he's got a passion, but he's like this area of his body is collapsed. He's, and I'm touching my heart. Yeah. He's got no sense of emotion. He's got no sense of emotional intelligence. He's not connected to anything higher than himself. He's not connected to relationship. Right? He's often demonizes the feminine because the feminine is weak. The feminine is what's going to make him, if he, if he gets in touch with his feelings, where's he going to get his fucking drive from? right? All of that. Mm -hmm. So he's got that aspect. And this is a guy who will take to a workshop and say like, well, how are you? How are you really? I'm fine. Right. Mm -hmm. It's classic. I'm fine is male for like, I'm so fucked up. I don't even know what to say right now. And so Mm -hmm. we'll like, cool, you're fine. And what else? And then we get the, like, I'm terrified. My dad's dying. I don't know what to say to him. My ex-wife is doing this. My kids, you know, my kids are sick, something. And you find out like, oh, you are so full of trapped expression and trapped feelings that they're literally killing you. You have to drink every night. You have to smoke pot. You have to jerk off six times to the internet. You have to have all of this, this life that's numbing and, and dissociated in order to not feel what you don't think you're allowed to feel. So that's the primal guy. And that's usually, I'm 47. That's usually guys like 35 and up mm. who grew up with like the 1950s Marlboro man as a father or grandfather archetype. 
Then we go to the other side, which is the guy who's so in touch with his feelings, right? who's so connected, but he's living in his parents' basement. He doesn't really want to do anything with himself. He's really out of shape to the point of being sick or to the point of being um, like dis- disempowered in his body. Right? He's, he's not interested in relationships even though he's surrounded by women all day. This is your nice guy. Mm. This is the guy who like, oh, I don't really know. I just want to kind of like play video games, smoke dope, and, and like get on with life. Mm. Right? He has no drive. He has no purpose. He has no power. He doesn't realize his power in the world because he's only witnessed or viewed or grew up with the idea that power is just corruption, mm-hmm. that power is evil, that masculinity is toxic. Right? So this, this, those are the two ends of the spectrum. And we get that guy. We'll bring him to a workshop and be like, here's the deal, man. You're going to wrestle with some people. We're going to take you out in the woods and we're going to leave you there for two hours. We're not going to leave you there overnight. But like, you're going to have to get in touch with nature. You're going to have to touch and, and, and realize that, that friction in life or with another man is actually okay. It's actually fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and he will go through the same transformation of, you'll watch, it's, it's so crazy to watch. This guy will walk in, shoulders down, head down, you know, belly sticking out, kind of like nervous and apprehensive about life. And he'll walk out of a workshop five days later, chin up, chest open, shoulders down, and saying like, wow, I had no idea what it was like to be physical. I actually do want to write the book. I do want to get out and, and start being a productive member of society or, or a productive member of his own world or of his family. Does that make sense, the two, the difference between the two? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, yeah. I think from a Jungian perspective, I feel like what you're speaking to is what Vanessa and I have sort of, I don't know, viewed as a society of uninitiated men. For and, sure. And, you know, in the book, you sort of talk about the Mar- Marlboro man versus the sensitive new age guy, which is, yeah. I think, what you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, what is missing from either of those archetypes is a sense of capital S self, like Hmm. that I know myself well, that I've been through the fire and come out on the other side with an understanding of who I am as a man. And Trevor, what I experience so often in couples and Vanessa and I have certainly spoken to and experienced for ourselves is just this idea that there's um, a lot of times like really good men looking to, if we're speaking heteronormatively, um, to their partners for leadership a lot of Mm. times in a way that makes women feel really unsafe with them. Mm. And I can do this. I can sort of take over and handle the situation, but I will resent the hell out of my man for it. Right. And I feel like so often when I'm working with couples, it's like the man is like, what does she want from me? I'm trying. Mm. I'm like tap dancing. I'm like running Mm -hmm. through hoops. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that dynamic, because I feel like um, you said something in the book where like you were talking about single men, but I think this is so true of couples as well, where the needier, the needier you are as a man, the mm-hmm. more um, you don't have your own life, your own sense of self, and you will repel women. And oh my right. gosh, is this right. like what I see constantly. Even within relationship, right? Yeah. For totally. sure. Absolutely. For sure. I, I think a lot of times, especially within yeah. relationships, because yeah. it can be like a really easy place to hide out in that dynamic, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So I get a lot of these nice guys. They are a lot, they come into my world, um, probably more so than anybody else, especially because of the demographic that they're usually 35 and under. So they're coming now in droves. And think about these guys. Who who have they grown up with? And who has been the major influence on them? Primarily, it's female teachers. It It is a mom who's dominant. The father is either not in the home or is in the home, but is emotionally absent, right? That was, that was my case. Uh, and so these guys have learned at a very, very deep level that the feminine archetype, whoever that may be, the mother, the spouse, the girlfriend, she's the leader. She's in charge. And if she's happy, everything's okay. If she's not happy everything goes to shit. Then there's conflict and conflict is, is not okay. These are guys who are also terrified, terrified of conflict because they don't view any aspect of conflict as healthy. 
So at the root, what they don't have is this core masculine identity of, hey, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm going to do in the world. Now, obviously, if it's if it's um, dogmatic and there's no, inf- you, you know, one of my teachers, Dewey Freeman, always says the definition of relationship is to be influenced and influenceable, right? So that you can influence someone and be influenced. So, so many of these guys, they're terrified of influencing. They're completely fine being influenced. Just tell me what to do. Like, tell me how to make you happy. What do you want to do, right? But they've lost this sense of, this is who I am. This is what I want to bring to the world. This is what I want to bring to my relationship. Mm-hmm. I did a, a, a talk two or three years ago, and I was like, man, these are the three questions you need to ask in relationship. Number one, why are you there? What do you, why are you in this relationship? What, is, what do you want from it? Like, what are you actually doing here? Or is it just the default, like, I don't know, she was pretty and I get to have sex now, so this is cool. This is why I'm here. That's a lot of guys sort of stop there. Mm-hmm. Or like society, you know, I'm 30 and, you know, I should probably do this and whatever. Uh, so I'm in it. But like, wh- why are you in this relationship? Number two, what do you bring to this relationship? Like, wh- not, not how do you make her happy. What's on your side of the fence that you're bringing over and being like, hey, this is, these are my gifts. This is what I got. This is why I'm... And not what just I'm gonna... financial, by the way. And, and not <laughs> just financial. Yeah, what I right. Hear. Like this stuff, the inside stuff. Like, mm-hmm. who are you as a man that you're bringing forward in this relationship? And then, two, what do you want from your, or three, what do you want from your partner? What do you expect in return from a partner? And all of this obviously is relational. It's not just like a checklist or it's not like, here's my way or the highway. Uh, but so many men today are, don't feel like they have permission or the right to show up and say, hey, this actually doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if they're attracted to their partner, which most men, if you're in relationship, hopefully you are. But in the face of beauty, a lot of men have been taught by culture or society or whatever that like, it doesn't matter, whatever she wants. This is, they've pedestalized a beautiful woman. And so they take their own drive, their own passion, their own purpose, their own needs, and be like, whoop, We'll just throw those right out the window because now I get to have sex. Now I get to go out with someone who's beautiful. Now my house smells a little better. Like it's, it's that kind of stuff that it doesn't really drop down to a depth. So Danae, I see it all the time too. And it is this, um, it is outsourcing their power to their partner, right? It's outsourcing leadership to the partner. It's outsourcing basic decision-making. I'm not talking about like just being the stoic leader of the family and I know where we're going and you're just along for the ride. But it's the like, well, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. what. Like, who are you as a man? Figure out what the fuck you want for dinner. Like you're allowed to want something for dinner. It's okay. Like start there. Uh, But that's that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's Mm -hmm. what do you want for your life? What if, and and I ask this question and please, someone's going to listen to this and think that I don't want women to exist. So I have to say this caveat like 99 times. I actually love women and and want women to exist, but I will ask every nice guy that I work with, what would you do with your life or change about your life? If women suddenly no longer existed, Mm -hmm. would you still drive the same car, do the same job, dress the same way you would like, do you have something that's just for you? I, if you know, God bless y'all, but if you all disappeared, I would still surf. I would still do jujitsu. I would still write books. I would still see if I can bench press what I can. I would still take my dog for walks. I would still go hiking, right? I would still, all of this, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's who I am. And so I brought that to my relationship. I remember sitting down with Katie early on and be like, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the movement I've started. Here's not, and it wasn't just like, here's my job. Here's what I do for work. I was like, I really want to get a black belt in jujitsu. This is really interesting to me, right? I really want to do these things. So, but I had to quite, quite transparently had to go through my own initiation since we, we talked about that word that let me know I'm actually allowed to have my own hopes, dreams, and desires as a man. 
because I grew up in a house with two older sisters and a very violent feminist mother. And so that archetype of me being having self, especially a male self, was never allowed and never developed. And I find that's very common with a lot of men. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important conversation that I feel like has become really politically incorrect to have and is so necessary for us to have because I think, you know, to me, it's the differentiation between um, dominance and leadership. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times what I think people are confusing what leadership is from Mm -hmm. the masculine is a sense of dominance, which is what has sort of been the status quo for a long time. But this is something very different. It's rooted within a solid sense of self. And what I find so often when I'm working with couples is I'm trying to get the man to take up more space with like, I would love to know how you feel. And I promise you, your wife would too, because there's such a like shrinking of self. And that just feels really um, less than containing to the feminine. Mm -hmm. It feels Mm -hmm. a little bit like, you know, it's that cliche thing of like why when we're dating, we're attracted to the guys that are kind of dicks, but the nice Mm -hmm. guys aren't like Mm -hmm. the ones that bring a lot of arousal. And Vanessa and I talk a lot about how it's, you know, uncomfortable to state this fact that like 85% of women or something like that, their number one sexual fantasy is to be ravished by a man, Mm -hmm. taken by a man. And Mm -hmm. we can't talk about like what that is rooted in, but I think it's some of what you're speaking to, you know? Yeah. And if we, if we talk to men, Here's something that's very unique. Uh, I just did this a week ago in a, a one-day like corporate event. I had all the guys in the room close their eyes so that no one could skew the voting by looking around and said, raise your hand if you think no one gives a shit about you or your struggles as a man. Mm. And 80% of the hands went up. Yeah. Now, 100% of the hands that went up, anyone who was 30 and under every single one of their hands went up. I thought it would be the other way. I thought it would be the older guys. Now imagine that guy in relationship. If in his core, he doesn't think anyone gives a shit about him. He doesn't think his concerns or needs are valid. Right? He truly does. If it's his core, he doesn't think society cares about him because of the narrative that we're dealing with now around toxic masculinity or whatever we want to say. Now that guy's going to go show up on date four and send his partners and like, so what do you and like, actually, what do you like? What do you want to do? What, where do you see this going? And it's just, well, no one fucking cares anyway. So the answer is going to be, I don't know, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Right. Why would I speak if no one's going to listen? Yeah. And I think what I've seen too, is that when they do quote unquote speak, it's almost like they do it in a way like they're acting out. So mm-hmm. they, they, they want to be heard, right? And they know yeah. they don't feel heard, but rather than actually um, cultivate the tools because they really haven't been shown the tools to be able to have those kind of hard conversations, instead they act out in their relationships, right? So it, it becomes, it's again, going back to this kind of uh, looking at the, the woman in the relationship again, you know, in heterosexual relationships as the mother, it's like, I'm going to mm-hmm. act out and tantrum so that you pay attention to me and my problems because I don't actually right. know how to articulate what those are and have you hear me and see me in a way that doesn't make me feel so vulnerable that I feel weak or I feel like I'm going to be, um, you know, annihilated emotionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, Vanessa. There's a, a permission piece. And then there is the actual skill piece. Yes. Right. The perm- you actually have permission to have needs, wants, desires, complaints, boundaries, all of that. That's the permission piece that the chip is missing in a lot of guys because it hasn't been, in their view at least, allowed. And that's, that's pop culture. That's regular culture. That's whatever we want to – that's their past experiences. But then there is the skill piece of how do you have a hard conversation? How do you hold space for your partner's emotions? How do you hold space for your own emotions? But that's that's not being taught, or it hasn't been taught in the past. So you're right, a lot of guys just like blurt out like a complaint, and it's you, like you, 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 you are the problem. Because they haven't been around mostly other men who say, hey, that actually doesn't fly. You're allowed to have needs, wants, desires, and, and challenges, and you're going to have to own them. Right, So the relational ground is the only place where they're held to the standard 
that they should be held to outside of the relationship. And when we see when that happens, when guys get in men's groups, when guys get around other conscious men, they're like, no, 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 that, that, that shit's not going to fly here. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask you to re-say that in a way that where you have some ownership. Mm-hmm. Then the relational landscape changes radically, mm-hmm. right? So we have work too to do amongst ourselves before we then come into the partnership. But there's also the permission piece I would think is almost even bigger. Because here's what I do know about men. Most guys who won't share or who won't be vulnerable or who won't be honest have at some point and then gotten shamed, gotten shut down, gotten left, right? And there's something in our brains that says if in second grade I tell Susie Johnson I like her, and she kicks me in the shins and tells everybody that I, I said that, and people make fun of me, the male brain is, goes, that's forever. Mm-hmm. Right? For some reason, we, they take the one time, one bad experience with a woman, doesn't matter when it was, and we extrapolate it across to everyone, which is why you have so many guys who have just dropped out of the relationship landscape. So many guys. Or like, well, when I was 21, my girlfriend left me, so I'm done. I'm out. I check. I'm out of this whole thing. It's going to be weed, porn, video games, and and whatever for the rest of my life. Where women, you could have like f- five shitty relationships, and you're still like, the next one's going to be okay. Right? There's like so much hope. Like, and we're like, no, no, no. I remember, I remember Susie Johnson, second grade. She ruined relationship for me forever. You know, <laughs> doesn't matter that I'm 44, <laughs> living a good life. I know women. I tell you, right? Like, there's, there's some misfire in our brains. Ruined. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like you're the first man or first person that I've heard speak to that Traver. And I think that's real. That men will continue to be in relationships with women. I find and. And they will not love with the fully open heart that they did. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on a little bit what that's about. Because, yeah, it does feel like it's a little bit of the difference. Like once my heart has really been stomped on, yeah. I sort of stay in that protective mode, mm-hmm. it feels like. I think it's this. And, and I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip here. We can control so much of our outside environment. That hasn't been our challenge as a species for men. Right? I'm free to walk the planet and do most of the things that I want to do without fear or worry. But this zone, my heart, my emotional space, this is so foreign to me, first of all, and so tender, and I can't control it. And so in comparison, if something uncontrollable comes along, like Susie Johnson, and breaks my heart, I'm going to go, fuck that shit, I'm done. I'm just going to control the things that I can control. I can make money. I can change my body. I can buy cars, right? I can have meaningless sex if I want to. I can control all of that. But this is the wild unknown. My heart, my chest, the emotional landscape is the wild unknown for me. Well, that also feels a little bit like part of that on initiation. I mean, I, the, the difference that I see, what you're saying, Danae, is so interesting because it's almost like at least in my circles and a lot of the women I've worked with as clients, this idea of like, we can have five asshole relationships. A lot of the women that I work with use those bad experiences and relationships as further initiation. Like they, you really use that experience as fuel, as kind of that, like, let's get in there and allow this experience Mm. to transmute me. Like, what can I learn about myself? What can I learn about what I want and what I don't want? Mm. Now I'm speaking broadly, not every woman, obviously, (laughs) but I do know a lot of women who do use that as like, how can I learn from this? And so Mm. I wonder if like, it's almost like we're just continuing to utilize this as growth. Whereas for the man, it's the opposite. It's like, that's the opportunity to just say, no, I'm done. And so now we're, we're in this place where, right. There was that article that came out recently around, um, the rise of the lonely single man. Right. And like how there's Mm -hmm. a skills gap going on. Mm -hmm. And so many women are like actively out there seeking, reading books, learning, you know, and, and men aren't necessarily doing the same thing. And what you're speaking to, I wonder is kind of part of that. Like, no, I shut down because in a lot of ways, and listen, I say this to women all the time, you can't blame men for being men. You raised them. 
Like we raise these boys, right? Like we are just as much complicit in why the men are walking around the way they are. But I'm wondering if part of it is as, as the teachers, as the parents, like we're not teaching our boys to be in mm. touch with their relationships. We're not teaching our boys to use hard emotions as an opportunity to look inward and grow and, and learn that this isn't going to kill me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. we're just shutting it down. Right. We're still doing the whole right. like man up boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. we're not doing that to girls. So girls are looking at these experiences as like, okay, let's grow. And boys are going, no way. This means I'm going to die. I'm going to shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. Vanessa, the, the feedback I got from my first book, which was all about how do you use the pain of a breakup or a divorce to fuel your life? Mm-hmm. Men said like, this was revelatory. Yeah. Like, Hey man, I've never heard this before. And I was like, trust me, I'm not the first person to say this. But it yeah. just hadn't penetrated the male consciousness yet. So I think you're right in a lot of regards. It was this is just happening to me and there's nothing I can do about it. It's out of my control. It also feeds into a lot of my gaps and holes. I yeah. don't have a good network of people who will support me. So that makes it even harder. The advice I get is just to start fucking other women or guys will take me out and get me drunk. So that's part of it. I also just don't know how to outcome. I don't understand emotion. So there's a part of my male brain that actually thinks this heartbreak may kill me because I haven't lived through it enough times to be like, okay, here's part of the archetypal pattern. It's going to suck. It's going to feel like it's never going to end. It'll last five times longer than you think it will. And then one day, oh my God, you will come out of it. But we don't have that like in our DNA. So it's still this foreign place for us. I also think just on the relationship front, because you, you know, the rise of the lonely man, I talk to a lot of guys and the challenge is a lot of them aren't lonely. That's really the problem. They're getting 75% of their relational needs met via the internet, video games, having a dog and having peace. So most of their experience in relationship was not that positive. So you're, you have these compete like, Oh, we want, we want what wasn't positive to now compete with what is positive. It's the challenge is that they haven't been in a relationship that the relationship itself was nourishing, enhancing, expanding, you know, exciting, uh, engaging. They, they have no concept of the conscious aspect of relationship. So relationship is the old standard paradigm of like, this is the ball and chain. Now I, now I can't go anywhere. We're not having sex. I have to do a whole bunch of chores. It's the Drama. blah, blah, blah. I've given up all my power. Yeah, etc. So I think relationship itself as a paradigm, there's a new emerging one that men will actually have more input in. And that will draw back men back into the relational sphere. And when men get around conscious relationships, I know this for a fact, when we teach men the skill of, hey, do you realize that this five-day fight can be like a 30-minute intense conversation? And they'll just look at me like, I'm, you know, like I just shit on the kitchen floor. Like, no, it's, it's, it this doesn't have to be this giant thing. Have you asked these questions? No, I never knew I could ask those questions. Have you mm. like actually just listened and not not and watched your own walls of defense go up? No, I've never done that. So relationship, I think right now is is a challenging point for a lot of them because they don't have the skills to be successful, and they're getting their needs met via proxy, which is going to get even more intense to compete with as technology gets better and better and better and better. Right. And I think that's what terrifies me as someone who works with a lot of men is how many guys are like, but I have, you know, video games and Tinder so I can get my sexual needs met when I want. No one bugs me. I get to hang out with the boys and do what I want and I make money. Like, what else you got for me, bro? Like, yeah, but what about connection? What about like love? What about, you know, like family? Like that, that's complicated and it's hard and it didn't work out that one time in second grade. And so, you know what? Fuck it. This is the way I'm going. Yeah. And that is a lot of it. But then, and they also like, cause I have talked to a lot of guys. I'm like, are you lonely? I'm like, you know what? Not really. 
But that's oftentimes like taking, I, I view it this way. Like you ever been so hungry, you don't know you're hungry. And then like walk into a restaurant and like. <laughs> not Vanessa. Some of us. Yes, not Vanessa. That's never been Vanessa's experience. <laughs> Let me see if I can use a different cool. example. No, this hangry one is like, what are you even speaking of, Traver? Like, no. You people kill me with your I don't even know I'm hungry. She becomes right. hysterical. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't the best example. <laughs> In theory, some people may be <laughs> so hungry they don't realize they're hungry. Get around food. That's what I find with these guys. When they do actually get around connection, they realize, oh, I'm starving for this. But if you ask them on a daily basis, like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. There's, I mean so smart and there's so many layers to what you're saying that I'm having sort of like these light bulb moments of like firing like I'm (laughs) understanding things because I feel like what I've been speaking to and Vanessa and I have had a couple episodes where we've talked about this is how much we have seen women sort of being like you know what I'm good like I feel like I'm either gonna like open up my apps to dating women or like I just feel like this is just not working and I'm just like I'm kind of over it right and I have for a while now, and I think some of this is I have a five-year-old son and which really shifted my perspective on like, I need to care about how Mm. men feel really. And I think that not only are men conditioned to um, not feel feelings by our society, but we as women are really conditioned that like being a good feminist means like we don't care and men need to figure it out. And Mm. that, you know, once I had a child, I sort of realized like, I got to soften this and I got to figure out how to be in relationship with men in a different way. But that being said, um, I feel like it's been attempting to understand and cultivate more relationships with men. But I feel like there's something in what you're saying a lot of times like that we're all so numb. We're all so Mm -hmm. just like, I don't even know what something fulfilling feels like anymore. And maybe Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of used to this. And so I've sort of gotten a little bit shut off from the need you know what i mean yeah, yeah for really sure different. for sure it's kind of making me sad <laughs> yeah, i think we all do it i think that's what you're saying today right it's like we're almost seeing it on both sides like both sides and and you know i mean listen there's positives and negatives to where we're going technologically um but i think that is part of the negative of social media is that you know i, I read something recently i can't remember where i saw it, but it was like essentially you know you lay down on the couch at the end of the night your morning and evening kind of bookend of scrolling through social media and you're getting your quote unquote like connection your social connection what you think is a social connection right i'm using air quotes for those listening and that's not what that is like your brain for there's part of you that feels like oh i'm getting that filled up but your your soul is saying no 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 that's not what that is right and so you don't even realize you're just numbing out thinking that you're filling your cup and you're not yeah mm-hmm. so Trevor yeah. let me ask this because i feel like the majority of our listeners are women okay as women how how do we show up like what do you mm-hmm. see um, from the perspective of maybe what women are missing or what women could do to support our brothers in a way that maybe we aren't like, could you give us a little bit of your two cents on that? Yeah, it's a beautiful question, first of all. So thank you just for asking it. I think what's happening now, this is what I've seen is that there is simply a recognition of male suffering. And that's, that's recent that I think the old perpetrator victim dynamic was so strong, you know, a couple of years ago, especially when I wrote the book that it was, you're on the perpetrator side. So we really don't care if you're suffering. And that was just glomming or lumping all men into the same group. And now there's been this trickle out of information of, wow, that domestic violence rates aren't exactly 99% to 1% or that men die significantly earlier in every, at every age, that, that, that 10 out of the top 10 most dangerous jobs in the world occupied by men. Addiction rates, suicide rates, depression rates. Um, we can take every, I, used, I say this kind of flippantly, but not. We can take every, neg, every statistic that doesn't have to do with breasts and ovaries. Anyone that's negative, men are at the top of it. And suddenly that's starting to penetrate the culture, right? There's great, there's Instagram pages dedicated to this 
Uh, there's the holistic psychologist did a whole big report on on men's work. Sri Chawla just put out a whole bunch of information on men's work, on on where we are and the reality of where we are. And I'm not a woman, so I I can theoretically understand the anger, upset, or even hate towards men. I feel it as a dude. Like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, on a lot of days. But I think to recognize that there's an individual in front of you who, if he's a male, he's still an individual. He's still gone through trauma. And some of, some of the most horrific trauma, you know, I've, I've been in this game now for about seven years, and the things that I've heard from men that they've lived through as boys, as, as military guys, as law enforcement, as first responders, as fathers, as husbands, it just cripples me. Like, I'll, I'll be like, thank you for telling me that. You know, I know we're in a workshop. I'll go outside and just sob. Like, I cannot believe that happened to you and you're still standing here. And like, well, what, was, what were the, I just got chills. Um, like, what were the resources provided to you to help you navigate that? You know, oh, I was told to man the fuck up. Yeah. Or I got put in the Marine Corps so I wouldn't go to jail. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, cool. So more trauma. That's great. Uh, that's so, so long story to, to, to wrap it up rather is I think as women recognize that the human in front of you has a past, the human in front of you may have had more trauma than you can shake your fist at more trauma than you can understand. And that doesn't mean that he's not responsible for his own actions, his own karma, his own life, but he's fucking human. And I think when we start to get there, then we actually will solve the problem. When we have the boogeyman of toxic masculinity and anything and everything under the sun is just like, oh, sweet, it's toxic masculinity, cool, we can all sleep at night now. We're not getting to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue is human. right? And it is, Danae, it is people like you. It is mothers. It is it is daughters, it is sisters, it is wives who for the first five years of my career would reach out to me and say, I can't say this publicly because I'll get annihilated by other women. But my son is hurting. Mm-hmm. My dad's hurting. My, fa- my, my husband's hurting. And, and I don't know, I, he needs help. But I can't even say that he's hurting because they'll say like, well, fuck him, good. He deserves it. He's one of them. He's on the perpetrator's side. And so simply asking the question, I think, is a beautiful start. And then recognizing two things. One, this man most likely has been traumatized. And two, he's not a woman. So he's not going to deal with things in the same way that you are. He doesn't have the same innate skill and understanding of emotion. Right? I don't think the same way. We don't act the same way. We're different, and that's okay that we're different. I said to my partner early on, like this relationship will be successful if you let me be a man. It will not if you want a 190-pound bald female as your partner. Like it ain't going to work because that's not me, <laughs> right? And continue to do the things that you are doing. For years, women, more women bought my book in the first three years than men did. Some of them bought like dozens and dozens of copies and, and gave it out. And I would say what your opportunity is, is to take that man and walk him up to the door of change. But he has to put his hand on that door himself. Mm-hmm. And this would upset a lot of women, but I still believe it. On the other side of that door needs to be a man. Mm. Why? We listen to each other. We feel different in a room full of just us. I don't care. And this isn't heteronormative. It doesn't care gay or straight. You get a room full of men together, something happens. There's an honesty level that changes. There's a vulnerability level that changes. You take one woman and bring her into that room, dynamic is completely different. Totally. We, it's, that's, and that's the opportunity for us. We as men need to step up. Right? I have an ethos in the book. And number two is be, be your brother's keeper. This is our time. You guys have, women have done so much work and so much growth and so much de- self-development, so much transformation. God bless you. 
And now it is our time to look up and go like, wow, you know all those negative statistics? Uh, that's us. Yeah. We can't be like, hey, ladies, knock, knock, knock. There's all these negative statistics. We need you to fix it for us, yeah. which a lot of guys are doing. That needs to stop. We need to go look in the mirrors or go look at our brothers or look at other men and say, I love you so fucking much. You need to do better. I love you so fucking much. I'm not going to let you do this anymore. And men need to look in the mirror and say the same damn thing. Mm -hmm. You don't think anybody cares about you? Do you care about you? Mm. Right? Do you hold yourself to a standard? Do you give a shit about you? Will you hold yourself at a time of need or will you collapse? Will you run to the bottle? Will you run to porn? Or will you sit there and say, okay, I got you. This is hard. Mm. This is going to suck. That was the initiation of my divorce. Mm. No vices. A lot of time on the bathroom floor, snotting all over the place, going, I think we got ourselves. First time ever, but I think I got you. And that I'll take for the rest of my life. That was worth every ounce of pain. Mm. So how do women do it? Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for asking the question. Men, we need to do it. Mm-hmm. It just took my breath away. You know, in the book, you talk about a post that Connor wrote um, where he said, I'm not sorry for being a man. Mm -hmm. And that that is like a controversial thing to say in our society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I desperately want my son to grow up in the space where he doesn't feel like being male is something that he needs to apologize for. But I think so many of us were raised in households where our mothers would in front of their sons bash mm-hmm. men constantly mm-hmm. and what do men internalize in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I really am grateful for you, Traver. I Thank think you. that your leadership and your voice right now is really, really important in a time where I believe what is underneath so much of what is happening in our society is about male pain, you know, and yeah. that We've got to look at this from a mm-hmm. different perspective because what we're doing is just not working. But I do think you're right. I think we are starting to understand that more and more that mm-hmm. men and women aren't the same and mm-hmm. that um, some of what men need is to be able to be men unapologetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was a turning point. Uh, I was friends with Connor when that happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember him reaching out and I'm like, man, you're going to get skewered. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know, but I'm not going to apologize for it. And we've shifted it to, we, we end every workshop with every man getting in a circle. And one of the guys from a couple workshops prior has made a flint knife out of stone. And so we have each man hold it and say out loud, it's good to be a man. Mm-hmm. And then say a prayer for the next man who will hold the knife in front of him in the line or in the circle. And then the man who will hold it in his place at the next workshop. And I feel like that is the intentionality that men need to bring of like, Hey, it is actually, you know what? It's not only not bad and I'm not going to apologize. It's good to be a man. It's good to be a good man. Now let me say a blessing for the man next to me and the man who will come months from now. We do that as a group. We get, we get every dude on the planet on like a zoom call and like, here's the deal. Say, it's good to be a man. Bless the guy in the little thumbnail next to you and bless the guy who's going to be on the next Zoom call. And what do you know? I think 90% of the world's ills will fall away. But I'm an optimist. (laughs) We need it. (laughs) Love it. it. All right, Trevor. Well, we have our lightning round of questions that we have for all of our guests that we can ask you. Um, So our first question is, who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people that have inspired you along your path up to this point? Mm. Bruce Lee, first and foremost. I actually <laughs> got to my, interview his my daughter. as well. That's so funny. Yeah, he's a phenomenal dude. Um, and you know, Michaela Bohm, do you know Michaela? She has been, I went to uh, and worked with her early on in my journey and have become friends with her since. And she's a, a massive influence. Uh, Carolyn Mace, if you know Carolyn Mace's work. Yes. Love yeah. I, I read her a book of hers at 22 and it made no sense. And I was like, this is a bunch of hippy dippy shit. But it stayed with me and stayed with me and stayed with me. Uh, Robert Masters is another. Um, gosh, and, and I know it's so cliche. But every man that I've worked with, 
Mm-hmm. And every one of those guys who let me call them in 2016 when I was like, hey, let's just get on the phone. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I'm inspired by guys who reach out and like, hey, there's this thing I want to do, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's just my heart is just like, okay, yeah, go run with that idea. It's a good idea. Go with that. So that's my list. Mm, I love it. So this idea or what we understand as flow, right? So this thing that you could just Mm. drop into and be consumed with for hours and not even realize time has gone by. What is that for you? Surfing, jujitsu, or writing. Yeah. I lose all time in any of those three. If you get me in the ocean, I want to, if I could become like a merman, I don't know if this is possible, (laughs) but like that's my retirement idea is that I'm just going to like dive in the ocean and live there forever. But also writing. I am obsessed with writing and can do it for days on end. Mm, I love it. And what breaks your heart, Traver? Injustice. Just clear up injustice, like bullying, like people suffering. Uh, I used to have an issue. I went to therapists about this, you two, that I couldn't sit in a restaurant if someone else was eating alone it would fuck me up, right? I'd be like 30 years old and start crying. And I remember being on dates and people were like, are you okay? And I'm like, I can't, we just, we got to leave. <laughs> like, why do we have to leave? I'm like, see that dude over there sitting by himself? Like, but yeah, he seems fine. He's happy. He's eating his food. I'm like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. So <laughs> I'm like, this introvert's like, please don't cry for me. <laughs> I'm enjoying my, my I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm enjoying my solitude. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think the whole human experience breaks my heart. It it doesn't feel like it needs to be this hard. It doesn't need like there's so much suffering that I feel like is unnecessary, and some days that just knocks me over. Mm, amen. I can't actually sit. At, I have a hard time sitting at the bar. I bartended for a very very long time, and I have a hard time sitting at the bar when people are rude to the bartender. I like mm. feel it in my body, and I'm I, like I have a hard time sitting there because somebody's always rude, and I just right. sit there and I internalize it. And I just want to like throw a drink in someone's face, you know. So I get that. Like I gotta leave. I gotta leave. I can't handle this. <laughs> oh, I feel it. I feel it. Okay, last one. Last one's a doozy. What's your favorite food? I don't do well with gluten. And I haven't since I was a kid, so it's not a fad. So I'm going to go with gluten-free meat lasagna and Swedish fish. People all over the world will know about this. I'll go places and show up for workshops or talks, and people will bring me bags of Swedish fish. Aww. So somewhere between lasagna and Swedish fish is my happy place. Wow. That's a great – that's a happy place. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> Wow. Trevor, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I just, I really appreciate you and the way that you're showing up. I know I've said that a couple of times now, but truly I do. And your book, Man Uncivilized, is going to be at the top of my recommendation list now. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for my just pleasure. being here thank and you. sharing some of this wisdom. I really appreciate you. Thank you both. I truly appreciate you too as well. Yeah. Let us know really quick before we let you go, where can our people find you? So we got your book covered, but where else can they connect with you? Manuncivilized.com. I'm on Instagram, Traver Boehm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. I have the Uncivilized podcast and those are probably the main three. I I spend most of my time on Instagram, um, but I'm trying to spend less time on social media like everybody but same, yeah, same. if you have any questions or something moved you, I, I, I talk to everybody. That's how I built my business, built the movement. So feel free to shoot me a message if any of this resonated or you have questions. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much, Trevor. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.